My name is Astrid Mbani, a Cape Town-born black woman with many roles. I'm a mental health practitioner, encourager of pursuit of knowledge, author, poet, migrant, mother, and in this case, co-creator of this podcast with my very handsome son, Jody. And together we bring you No Stone Unturned. We will discuss things like our journey as migrants, both separately and together, how our relationship matured to the point we now hold each other accountable to be the best versions of ourselves. Relationships, culture, being exoticized. And in this journey to individuality, we've witnessed each other grow as people, as artists, in our spirituality, and we've had numerous conversations along the way, which we want to invite you to a sneak peek behind the curtain of our relationship thoughts and passions you'll be able to find us on spotify itunes instagram and all your listening platforms new episodes will be available every second monday hey my name is jody carstens i was born in cape town and moved to australia when i was 10. i'm a student of mental health and psychology a relationship driven madman a lover of art music and fashion in particular a son a friend, and some would call me a leader, the fruits of which I hope to seek. And I guess in this very case, I'm the co-host of this podcast. Along with my amazing, strong, and ever-brilliant mother, this is No Stone Unturned. We hope this podcast will bring you new insight in your development as sons, daughters, women, men, fathers, mothers, friends, and partners. As we continue to open up with one another, we hope it encourages you to do the same in your lives and relationships to push through the fear of vulnerability and leave no stone unturned. It'll probably be a best part to talk about how we came to the idea of doing this podcast. Um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, we came to this because we were, uh, I guess, separated for five months, um, with me being stuck in lockdown in South Africa. And, you know, the human thing is that we might not notice or even take for granted the things that we're surrounded by every day. And one of the things that was noticeably different was, um, I guess the reunification or our reunion as far as our conversations were concerned. Like mm. I had really missed having conversations with you yeah. uh, where I don't have to start explaining from a concept. What, what was it like for you? No, very similarly. I was so used to, you know, being able to like sit in my room and, and go through my deep thoughts and be able to think about things. And then, you know, if I wanted to run it by someone, you were here. And so I could talk to you. And I think, um, I would so often come up with my little concepts about people's development and people's um, the way people end up being and I was so used to being able to run it by someone that it felt like I felt stifled and I felt weird like having to not just try to explain to certain people why I do this like why this is a thing for me but also like explaining it to them and then having to explain the basis of those concepts to them as well like yeah. i might say something like you know we we know that like birth order psychology is a thing and then someone might be like what what do you mean and then i have to explain birth order psychology and now yes. that's the whole thing so like uh, um so i guess like yeah i would have to do the teaching just so i could convey a concept or yeah. an interesting thought yeah. that i had you yeah know? and i think that that i was like in that i was like oh man i really miss being able to like run these ideas past mom and have like a a logical person who had the same drive as me but a different thoughtscape yeah um and so yeah that's why i really when you came back and i had and we were able to like have conversations again i realized how much i missed that and missed having someone i could just run those thoughts by yeah yeah and i guess also you know i think that being around you every day i take it for granted the kind of conversations the depth of the conversations that we have like mm. you mentioned like having to start from a concept where in reality these kinds of conversations took years in building like as i learned things 
so I imparted them to you and so we'd really developed this um, rich foundation of you know my personal journey and then uh, one of the things that I find really really important is that knowledge for knowledge sake alone to me is senseless mm-hmm. um, it does nothing but occupy headspace unless it makes a difference and a change in my life and especially in the life of my loved ones. So as I went through my healing process, saw therapists or pursued um, personal knowledge or personal growth, I would then implement that into our relationship yeah. because your home is basically like a lab, right? It's testing ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess it was a lab for both me and you mm-hmm. and what do you think like if you were to like explain to other people um how to create a lab or what was the kind of environment that you know either led to that or was conducive for that kind of learning what would you say to parents maybe like what would that look like I think um, being open to an inquisitive nature, being open to okay with your kids questioning why you do things. Yeah. I think that, that was that's one of the big things and not seeing it as it, them questioning your authority and questioning who you are as a parent. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's, a, it's a person-to-person thing and, and, and asking why is it that you value me doing the dishes too so much? Why is it so important that I clean this? Why is it so important that it's on this time and this time? And, yeah. and why? what is it about um, doing these things that are so important to you that it could cause a fight? Yeah. And I think that being okay with your kids asking you those things and not just being simply saying, do it because I told you so. Yes. Because that fosters no understanding and that fosters no, I guess realization that the habits and the things that we ask our loved ones to do is out of need for our highest values it's out of need for you know and i think that that um when we started doing that it made it so clear to me and also made it clear to you that when i started asking you and started and we started talking about those things uh uh, like this isn't how i convey love you know and we started realizing that you know um, acts of service and gifts are two of your primary love languages. So yes. cleaning the house, one, if I clean the house when you before you got home, it was you didn't have to worry about the house being clean. Yeah. Right? So that was an act of service that, that showed love to you. Yes. And so similarly as well, um, you didn't like a messy home because you grew up in a disorderly home. So yeah. you having an orderly home was a show of love. It showed that this house keeps itself both relationship wise and physically in its space yeah um so it was it was a a physical representation i guess of of the relationship to you yeah um and i didn't realize that's how um deep it was you know i just thought you were ocd and pedantic (laughs) (laughs) that's what i thought i was like man why is it so important that this is this you know this has to be this clean yes but also on the flip side that um you know, for me, it was it was always a thing of like, no matter how to me, it seemed like no matter how messed up our relationship was or or how um, disorderly it was in our relationship, I always had to clean. And I was like, why the heck should I care about cleaning these things if you don't even care about me? Yeah. You know, so for me, from my point of view, it's like I do these things begrudgingly because you don't do you don't talk to me and you don't like ever engage with me i just do these things for you yes. so i it never felt important to me and it never felt like i wanted to do it yeah yeah and i guess that's where the parenting style um has to change had to change for me like i, I think that at first it was like I replicated what I grew up with and then later on uh, when I saw the unhappiness in my son and I was like oh but am I not doing you know what I'm supposed to do that is um, copying what I saw happen I realized the part that I resented as a child is having no explanation whatsoever and I also realized that my child didn't really see me as a person, that mm. you didn't see me as a person. Mm. I was just this boring, 
dictator that told you how to do things and probably made you took you away from your fun and i had to ask myself the question like is that really how you want your kid to see you like is the kitchen sink so important mm. glad to tell everybody <laughs> that we have been relieved from the uh, hold that the kitchen sink had over <laughs> our home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, yeah. and I think when that became less important is when we started talking more and just wanting to spend time with one another and yes. just wanting to be in each other's company. Because the more the relationship became the primary focus the other things become easily compromisable. Yeah. The other things become easily, you know, oh, it's okay, if you're not going to do it today, can you just make sure you do it at some point this yeah. week? Yeah. Like, whether if that's vacuuming or, or, or the bathroom or something like that, yes. you know, or if you have a busy week that week, hey, I, I know this week's been really intense for you, so don't worry too much about the cleaning type thing. So yeah. I think that there's a responsibility to one another that goes beyond the home because yes. you're, the home is not the only relationship. The home is not a focus of our relationship because we we would have a relationship this home did not stand. And I think that that is something that parents also have to, um, I guess, grow into. Because mm. I think that a lot of parents do feel as if that if their kids left and their home wasn't intact, they'd lose their kids. Yeah. You know? Like, they don't have a uh, an individual relationship with their children, and so the home has to be this kind of place where their children want to be. Yeah. Because they don't actually know their children or what their children want. Yes. Yes. And, and um, again, going back to previous um, models of parenting, like if you provided a roof over your child's head, warm bed to sleep in, eat and drink, educate the child, then, you know, you were doing well. And just as you were talking, I was thinking that, you know, the difference between a house and a home is that a home is actually co-created yeah. by all the people who live in it yeah. not just by the parents who sets the rules you mm. know um and and i think that's so representative I, I just thank god so much for that turning point where he opened my eyes and again it came as a result of me doing my own you know deeper work healing around my childhood and why I wanted things like, like you said earlier on, you didn't realize that, you know, a messy home could so easily trigger me mm. and, uh, a trigger, a beautiful definition that I just read today is, um, a memory that's linked to something, uh, or something in the outside that's linked to a memory from a painful past and coming from a home that was, you know, really unpredictable. Mm. I had made it such an intention to have my home um, in order and in a certain way. But in that, in swinging the pendulum to the opposite side, mm. I was being so restrictive to you mm. that I think it affected your spirit. And if, if again, I say, thank God that he caught me, he arrested me mm. when I saw one day the, like just the devastated look on your face, mm. And I realized that I am doing my child harm. Mm. Here I brought him to this country where I, you know, because you were the driving force behind me making sacrifices. Mm. And I wanted better for you. And then I had to ask the question, is this better? Mm. Is this my mm. version of better? Yeah. Mm. And I think, I think that when I was, when we were, when I was a teenager, I think that it became, for me, it became a, a thing of like, I'm doing this so that I can stay here. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it was very much like I'm doing all these things and cleaning this house and, and everything like that simply because if I don't, I might feel like I get kicked out. You know, I might feel like I won't have a place to stay. And I think that's a lot of kids. I think that's a lot of like, um, kids that have that mentality and that reverence for their parents where it's like, if I don't do this, I genuinely think my mom might not keep me around, or my dad might not keep me around. So I mm. do this. And it's and it's a fear. Mm. It's like a, And I think that we've become so used to 
living in fear of our parents, we consider it normal. Mm. We consider it so normal to like joke about, oh yeah, like you know, if I don't do this, you know, I might catch the belt. Like ah uh, ah, uh, you know what I mean? And, mm. and it's not even that your behavior is that bad. It mm. was that you to them it just like reflected that you didn't care about them, respect them or anything. But yeah. that's not reciprocal. You yeah. know, that's not um you don't feel cared for in those moments. You don't mm. feel cared for when someone um, you know, doesn't hear why you don't do and do these things or hear what's going on in your day. You might have had a terrible day and I remember going to high school and like might have had a horrible day with teachers, not really been able to focus, not really being able to do any of those things and then coming home and then being like, do this, do this, do this. And it's like, I haven't even put my bag down yet. You mm. know? And so I think that that's also taken for granted is in the the social hardships that might have been faced in high school, or even the learning hardships that might have been faced in high school and parents not regarding that as hard. Parents yeah. immediately going, well, you didn't have to go to work da, 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 when the social and emotional and um, all those hardships are their own form of hardships growing yes. up. They yeah. are their own form of things. Yeah. So... Um, yeah growing up it was it was it was hard to communicate and hard to like i guess want to communicate when when, a, when your parent is like just being very autocratic about yes. these things and, and saying you have to do this thing you have to do this thing and then you'd rather just for me personally i'd rather just get them done and go to my room and not talk you know what yeah I mean? yeah and that was like a big thing i did for years where i because i was such an introspective person where i would just you know get these things done and do these things and, and say i'm just going to my room and not talk for the rest of the day yeah and not say anything because i was so tired and yeah. so used to having to say things all day yeah so yeah yeah i i really um think that that's something that i would like parents to know that you know a child's experience is just as valid as an adult mm. you cannot dismiss a child's experience where uh especially me coming from or us coming from africa i might think because my child um didn't have the same like hardship as me about you know only having peanut butter and jam to put on his bread mm. but I didn't know how every day he gets challenged and how you got challenged and how you got, um, you know, really, uh, how you really had to stand up for yourself and almost fight against this, um, a system or, uh, you know, being picked on for your differences, differences or your, um, even your accent or, or things like that. And I, I, I think it's something that migrant parents are, are ill equipped or ill informed about. Mm. And, and it's happening. Thank goodness that information is out there more and more. And the proactivities is also increasing. But certainly when I, um, you know, came or we came like 13 years ago, I tell you, I was completely clueless about what my child would be up against, you know. So um, looking back now, you know, I think it's important that parents really check in with their kids um, and not only with the kids that in relationships we generally like if you can set aside a time to check in with one another you know we generally do that either on a thursday morning or on a saturday morning um and it won't necessarily be a formal thing but we just find ourselves in the lounge together because now it's not formal anymore Mm. but there was a time when it was intentional Yeah. Yeah. yeah There was there was a time where it would like we it would be us meeting in a neutral space it would be us you know going for a coffee or um you know going for dinner and and we would just check in and it was definitely less frequent we do it twice a week now and it was a time where it was once a month maybe that you know yeah. and we would um sit down and just check in with one another see where each other are at and 
and kind of talk a little bit about the relationship. Um, and it really helped meeting on neutral space first because meeting in the home, the home can be a hostile space depending on what kind of space there is or what kind of um, lack of space you've created for, yeah. such, for such conversations and such um, relationship. Yeah. Um, and as well as, I think, in mentally as well for a teenager and a young person, they're used to going outside of their home to engage in relationship. They're mm. used to going outside of their home to um, meet up with friends and be comfortable or, or go do something with their friends. And it, and it just brings a different energy yeah. and brings a different, um, I guess, aspect to the relationship because you're seeing a parent wanting to engage in an activity that isn't just housework or yes. isn't just cooking or something like that in your house. So. Yeah there's that change in energy that uh really really does assist and really does help yeah so when we started it was it was once a month and and we even got this little card game that we play sometimes um it's called intimacy and some of those cards are really great and it just it started out as just us um getting to know one another and some of those cards are, are really deep questions things like oh what are your biggest aspirations what do, where do you see yourself in 10 years what do you want to do in the next five years and so you can start to get this idea of one the person i think it was so awesome to see to get to know the person that my mom was but as well as the person that your child is becoming to be yeah um and i think that at 17 18 when we started i think that that really really helped me in terms of getting to know you and getting to build a dialogue yeah so those are probably some of the earliest things i remember of us um beginning to build a dialogue to where we get to this point to where we get to um, being able to have a co- podcast openly and be able to talk to people openly about um, how our relationship is formed. And, and I guess all of that kind of s- stems into the philosophy of No Stone Unturned. Yeah. And stems into this philosophy of of um, not leaving anything to be too taboo to talk about and not yeah. leaving anything to the point where um, we go, oh, you know, I don't really want to talk about that. Yes. Um, and I guess now it's kind of this trigger word for us, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's that, um, you know, if you feel like, oh, I don't really want to touch into this space, you know, no stone unturned. Like, yes. Let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's flip yes. that stone. Yeah. Um, would you say that that was kind of the, the driving heart behind that, behind no stone unturned? Yeah. Um, being in mental health um, and I'm talking to people all day, you know, I also learn about what, the rules of dysfunction are and they are don't talk don't feel don't trust Mm. so if you don't talk about things then you don't know what you're feeling when you're feeling it there's no name for it because you're not allowed to talk and then when you're feeling these things you don't trust what you're feeling when you're feeling them Mm. and in order to break those rules I knew that conversations had to start in our home, you know, and coming from a nursing background, of course, it, it helped me a lot because, um, there'd be conversations that I'd have with you that (laughs) made you roll your eyes, like the birds and the bees conversation. I don't. I don't think people know, or I don't think you realize that the birds and the bees conversation that we have is not the normal birds and the bees conversation, right? Parents <laughs> try and like, birds and the bees, you know, don't get a girl pregnant, like, you know, don't, da 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 da. But I think <laughs> our birds and the bees conversation didn't look like that. No. From a mental health nurse perspective, right? It was the same as a drug and alcohol conversation. Like, they're, they're, it's a different depth there. There's a different, like, level there, right? So those were concepts that were being passed to me and things that were being said to me that I don't think people have every day with their kids. You like know? what? Like, for example, I guess this was, this is also the joint thing of, like, um, mental health and, like, being a nurse as well as, like, the spiritual side, right? Yeah. Like, I'm so... Um, kind of like, are you ready to take on that role of being a father? Like, are you ready to like guard this woman's heart? I'm like, guard her heart? I'm not a knight. What do I do? How? What? And so my, the, 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 I guess these key spiritual concepts were conveyed to me more than, um, you know, health and just health and safety yeah. more than just, um, you know, STIs are prevalent. Da, 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 da. I think a lot of parents will try and scare tactic their kids into not having sex. Yeah. But I think the weight and responsibility was the scare tactic for me. 
was like the you know the, like are you ready to guard this woman's heart are you ready to be her keeper as a as a gentleman are you ready to really honor her in things and i was like yes. honor her do i have to give her an award how do i do like you know all these sorts of things yes. but i think it helped me understand the power of sex yeah. and understand the power of these things by conveying them in concept rather than trying to convey you know numbers and statistics to me yeah i think um that always that helped me a little bit more but i don't think that a lot of people can say that that's how they had the birds and the bees conversation you know yeah yeah because i was getting I, and i guess because i was already such a health focused person you know like i was in like pe class and they were already teaching that to me i guess as a parent you want to bring something different as well at the same yeah, time. So yeah. maybe that he, was it too. Remember how you tried to have me not have the conversation? He was like, ah, oh, I'm pretty sure we already had this talk <laughs> at school. We had it at youth. And I was like, nah, those people are not your parents. Sorry. we can't. And he just threw his tall body stretched out arms and legs and just rolled his eyes back the full <laughs> The fool, I can't believe we're going to do this. Yes, she's going to do this. <laughs> and that's because, you know, and, and I ask some pretty awkward questions. Like, as a teenage uh, boy, um, what do you even know or understand <laughs> about a woman's body? Like, is it just going to be a matter of reaching your climax? Do you know how to please you a woman? You never want to hear the word climax. <laughs> Coming from your mother's mouth. <laughs> or do you understand that um, sex is meant to bond people? So yeah. it's going to be really hard if you break up with this girl. Mm. It's going to be really hard for the two of you. Mm. So, you know, I know that I have had the conversations that cultivates the protector in the man that you're becoming you know not just um the sexual side right. and that's another thing i think that not very many parents want to admit that their child Have is a, a sexual yes, being yes. like to me and again that kind of helps with coming from a nurse it's like you eat, you sleep, you breathe. There's desire. Yeah. You know, we are sexual beings from when we we are born. Mm. And so... And I, so sorry. No, yeah. But I also think that, like, modern parents and, 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 and modern culture, we don't preach self-control to our teenagers. Yeah. Like, we... Like the bee, birds and the bees conversation, we'll go. You're gonna do this thing. Like you're yeah. gonna your 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 hormones will take over. Da, 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 and you're gonna have this thing that happens. Mm. And so I just want you to be safe when you're doing it. Mm. So without thinking about it, we're giving them the leeway and the gate gateway to go. You're gonna do this thing. You won't be able to control this thing about you. When in truth, we have self control and we have free will. Yes. So teaching your children responsibility and the weight of the decision that they're making is what's going to help them control that thing and what's yes. going to help them make wiser decisions yeah. because if you just tell your kids you know your hormones are acting up and we love to put like paint traditional or uh, western culture loves to paint teenagers as these hormonal beasts yes but if you're teaching your kids moralistically what it is that they should and shouldn't do self-control is one of those things that sh should be teaching them yeah. Self-control is one of those things and no more prevalent than in sex, you know, yeah. no more prevalent than in desire. Yeah. So, um, I think that now looking back as much as I rolled my eyes and, 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 you know, um, through my head looking back, I'm like, Oh, you know what? Like that really taught me, um, the weight of those, that, those kind of decisions and the weight of what I was doing, even though I didn't know it at the time now reflecting and being an older man, I'm like, Oh, okay. Now, when I make those decisions and when I go about those paths, I'm a much more controlled and a much more like wise person about those things. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, not letting my desires lead me. And I think that a lot of people still do that. Like a lot of people just see it as a, just, just a matter of fact, like it happens, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I think that, you know, it comes back to the values of, uh, one of the things that I ask you is, is that the highest honor that you can do mm. this girl, mm. you know, by just engaging with her, 
uh, on a sexual um, basis, whereas do you know her heart's desires? Do you know mm. her thoughts? Do mm. you, you know, that sort of the pinnacle of the relationship or an added bonus. It's not a given. And the fact of the matter is if a teenager... You, you, I think you find a whole lot more sexual dysfunction these days yes. because of early exposure to sexuality. Yes. Because people really become jaded. It's not like, um, you know, um, it's not functioning in a healthy relationship. It's not, there's people don't have, if you're an adolescent, you don't really have the language for that. And so, I mean, how do people even then start to ask for what they need? And so that's why it's important, I think, as a parent to allow your child a voice in the home mm. so that there is in whatever situation, whether it be, you know, to question you, whether it be to stand up for themselves in the school ground, mm. whether it be to ask another adult a reasonable question without it being seen as, oh, don't be rude to Auntie Doris because, you know, Auntie Doris is older than you. You just behave yourself. And then we actually set our children up for, you know, being taken advantage of if they cannot use the home as a lab to learn to appropriately use their voice. Mm. And I've always said that my job is to keep you between the fine line between assertiveness and rudeness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's so true. What are some of those early background moments or some of those, um, I guess, early moments that brought us to the point where we are now, I guess, of having these conversations and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, what are some of those defining moments, you think? Um, I would say definitely adolescence. Like, mm. I started to realize that I wanted to... I'm the first woman in your life, and I knew that I was also preparing you for life and life mm. with a partner, so that's where the whole dating thing came mm. in. But also, you know, there'd be moments where, um, for instance, going to school interviews and then, you know, instead of asking you what happened or, you know, can you explain to me what the situation was there, I would just side with the teacher or mm. sort of, you know, wanted you to get it right. Yeah. And now when I look back, I, I wonder what that would look like. And I wish that I would have been your ally. Mm. You know, um, everybody comes from somewhere, goes back to somewhere. So you need somebody in your corner. You mm. need someone to back you up mm. and believe in you, you know. And so adolescence was really... Um, and, and this is what I love. It's when you started to question me, to push back, that absolutely catapulted my learning and my need to change. Mm. I was like, I've got to keep up. I've got a questioning mind. Mm. I've got a out-of-the-box thinker here. Yeah. You know. And uh, you've you've exposed me to so much, like music, topics, you name it, you know. Yeah, I think yeah, adolescence was a big one. I think that um, I think that I was being fueled by so many adults in my life. There were so many people. I was lucky enough to like have such a great age range of friends. I was lucky enough to have like like friends who had kids you know what mm. I mean like friends who who were in their mid-20s and I was 16 friends who were like early 30s and I think that was one of the benefits of growing up in a church you know like you just have so many people you can call friends and and call upon that I began to like you know those people I'd meet who would like in similar age to you and I'd be mm. like why can I have conversations with this person like this and I couldn't have conversations like this with my mom yeah. you know and I guess the arena of how you know someone and how you meet someone is so important yes but it started to make me ask you questions and make you ask like me ask questions about certain things and and stuff and 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 also grew my 
um, curiosity in who you were as a person as well because yeah. I had seen these people in their performative roles and different performative roles as well as hearing so much dialogue from the people you work with of being mm. like oh my gosh Astrid's so funny and oh my gosh she's you must be so lucky to have a mum like her she's so nice and, and I was like what who how I was the confused. what now I was very confused I was like I don't know this woman I don't know her yeah. um, but it made me want to know you and it made me want to um, get to know this person that they talked about and spoke about and I guess as well as starting to see you pop up in creative arenas that I, you know, was involved in, you know, I would see, be at a music event and da 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 da, da or, or know someone and they would be, they would say they know you. And I would be so weirded out at first, you know, like people be like, oh, say hi to your mom. And I'm like, how do you even know my mom? You know, mm-hmm. like things like that. And, and, um, and that made me be like, okay, there's this person that, that I'm not seeing. There's this person that I don't know. And I, and I would really like to get to know. Yeah. So that was one of the key things, but I think earlier on, as well in like in teens as well, it was also it was a lot of the the early fights that we were having, you yeah. know, around those um those things. That for example, it was it was a a big thing of me like turning eighteen and wanting my freedom and wanting to be able to like go out when I wanted to and stuff. And I was mm-hmm. very at the time I was very like active and going out at different events and stuff like that. So it was it was an issue because one mum felt neglected. Yeah. And and two, you know, I wasn't being communicative and responsive in where I was going or what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, a crazy thing to to me still. Um, that I don't know if it's in other countries too, but eighteen in Australia suddenly, you know, has become this gateway to faux adulthood, like mm. quasi adulthood. Man, when I was 18, I was as clueless as the day is long. You know what I mean? So I always said to you that adulthood comes with responsibility. And our biggest fights, can you remember what our biggest fights were about? Mm. About you not, either not um, letting me know when you reach somewhere yeah or you're not coming back at the time or i wake up in the morning there is nobody in that bed yeah okay yeah. not a call not a message or maybe a message that was left like 10 to 5 oh um, i'm sorry you know i fell asleep with my friends or you know we watched a movie we lost track of time and this would happen re- repeatedly repeatedly it drove me nuts (laughs) what was that time like for you i think for me it was it was wanting to um yeah like wanting to be out and 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 just you know explore these things and do these things and i think that um there was there was moments and opportunities where you know someone might i might go to an event and go to a gig and someone's like oh come do this and come do that and i think that um for me it was i guess frustrating because i was like i i was highly aware that like you know i would go to message you and go say something and i'd feel guilty so i was like oh you know what what what's that about you know why am i feeling guilty about these things Mm. but i was i was so wanting to go do these things that it let i left my responsibility and at the time i was like um you know it's not that big of a deal but i also recognized that I didn't feel a responsibility towards the home. I didn't feel as if this was my home growing up. You know, I always yeah. felt like I stayed here because I didn't feel a, a responsibility to this house. I never felt like this house was my home. Yeah. So I think that it made it harder in my mind because there was no emotional connection to be like, why am I, what am I going back to? Where is this um, responsibility that she's asking me for? Yes. And I think that that, um, that made it a lot harder. That made it a lot more like, um, t- a lot tougher for me to like, I guess, understand what you were feeling. I have empathy to be like, oh, yeah, you know, mom's upset because of this. It just made me feel like you wanted to coop me up and keep me inside and keep me at home when there were so many, like, other experiences. And and, and at the time, like, there were people that I was meeting who I really connected with and bonded with and wanted to be with all the time. And I was like, these people feel more like home to me than I do in my own house. Yeah. So that was probably, like, the way the the miscommunication as well as the, um, I guess, lack of responsibility came from. Yeah. And now when I look back, I can understand that, you know, if you've come through an adolescence where, you know, you literally had to fight half the time to be who you are, 
not only in your home, but in the world out there, um, like people doing stupid things like, you know, constantly touching your hair. I remember, you know, you not wanting me to touch you during adolescence. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. And I would get 30 second hugs, you know. Um, and now I get them uh, without me asking. <laughs> um, but um, that when you found people that were creative, because creative people are a different um, species. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> There's a lot more broad mindedness, you yeah. know, and inclusiveness. Yeah. Um, that, that would feel like connection to you. Mm. But I wasn't yet at the point where I was telling you enough about what that felt like for me. Mm. And neither were you at the point where you had the language to let me know what that was like. Yeah. And I don't think I understood it yet either. Like, I don't think I understood that that's what was happening for me because I chalked it up to, I'm 18, I just want to be out with my friends, right? But I also, I, now that you say it, I also do reflect and remember that, like, in my high school, like, in my art class as well, like, it was a lot of people who were just, you know, doing art as the status quo. <coughs> Uh, or there were people who were quote unquote creative, but they were like, you know, doing the, uh, the techniques and things that the teachers taught them. Whereas like, I wanted to do just like weird things and teachers like that doesn't convey any techniques that we show. And I'm like, I know, but I like the idea, you know what yeah. I mean? And so I think that like, there was probably one other person that like, I really connected with only in like late high school. And he, we went up to being, went out to being like, I have this a similar friendship circle and everything like that, um, that I could really say was like a creative in that sphere um, the same as I was. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't really feel very understood in high school. I didn't feel very, um, like I had found my people at all in high school. During yeah. High school, I felt like I was constantly putting on a mask to, to kind of just feel slightly accepted. Yeah. So when I found people that I found, um, that I did find and I found like they understood me or, or, or understood an aspect, even a little aspect of me, it was like revolutionary and life changing for me. And I just yeah. wanted to be around them all the time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a big thing, and I think that I didn't communicate that or or have the capability to communicate that at the time. But um, yeah, I was I was I was I guess shocked. I was just really really shocked that like other people thought like me or had similar experiences to me, yeah. and didn't you know want me for my blackness or you know use me as a trope, but genuinely cared about who I was and the yeah. ideas that I liked. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that was. <clears throat> you know, I think that for parents to give children different experiences to be exposed to peer groups or, you know, different environments where you see that your child has a natural affinity. Because I knew very early on that I had a creative child. Mm. You know, I knew that your strength or your inclination was not academic and that was a strong driving point for me to come to Australia because mm -hmm. in South Africa, those opportunities were only open to like the rich and the well off, you mm -hmm. know? And so I knew I had to do something different. And, but, and also half of the time I didn't know what you were experiencing. Mm -hmm. Like you just, because of our relationship, I guess you didn't share a lot with me. Yeah. Yeah. you know so um i think it's really really important to make time not only to be a provider financially and i think that was my big main yeah. role for a long time yeah. um that i wanted to give this kid like uh, everything that he needed and a bit more mm. um yeah, and I think the hyper-responsibility of the weight on me as a single parent also impacted my ability to be lighter and more playful. Yeah. There was a, much more of an intensity to my personality at that time, I think. I definitely think that was a big thing, like, I think being a single mother as well. Like, I did, I think I recognized that from a very young age, though. I think that, like, being a single mother, I was well aware that at times you were playing both roles you know you were playing both the mother and the father and and 
but so much so that in moments where you would try and be lighthearted, I was like thrown off. <laughs> like I was like during the headlights a bit, like, yeah. do I run? Do I freeze? How do I handle this? You know? So I think that it made me so used to a very like strong and authoritative mother. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't know how to interact with a, a mother who showed care and who, you know, like sat next to me and go, asked me what was wrong, you know. Mm. And so it made me very stern and very like, you know, well, no, I'm going to handle these things as well. Because I saw that response in you of like, you know, I don't need to see you cry if like it was like a really tough day or like, you know, you'd get to like a really... Um, I might do something that might push you over the edge for your day, you know, and then I'd see you cry and I'd, I'd, I'd be like, okay, like the, the intensity of this emotion is what she's feeling. Mm. And then that crying would result in anger. Mm. So I only ever saw like tears and anger in a combination, mm. never really tears and vulnerability or tears and joy or tears and sadness. Mm. So for me, I was like, okay, well I don't really cry unless it's like super big, you know what I mean? Unless it's like super, um, like I can't handle it. And, mm. it and for years that's what it was it was like a every time i'd cry it'd be like a massive outburst you know it'd be like a massive thing of like you don't know me you don't know what's going on with me like da, 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 da. and mm. she's like and mum would be like i'm trying to get to know you i'm trying to understand and i'd be like nah and in my mind i was like no you're not like you just want there to be some kind of pseudo peace mm. you know and um i'd always like do that i'd always like rush it and not really be listening and just trying to rush it to a point where like the conversation would be over yeah 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 and I, I think an, another turning point was one day, um, again, you were sitting in front of the television. Uh, I think it was a Saturday morning and I... Cartoon time. Don't interrupt me doing cartoon time. I know, right? Timing, parents, timing. I tell you what, that's the other thing that I learned, <laughs> that I can't have things done at my time like the way that I want it. It's got to be a collaboration. And so anyway, then I noticed for the first time that this is actually a monologue happening. And I was like, why are you not talking back to me? And you were like, well, first off, with that tone, I don't really think that that's going to help. <laughs> How do you expect me to open up, you know? And you've already decided what I'm going to say and how it's going to be said. So what conversation do you have for me? And I, I do really well. People don't realize this. I do really well with pushback or to be corrected. I'm actually easily corrected yeah. but the combination of probably coming across opinionated and being corrected doesn't go together, together in yeah. people's minds yeah. so they never or they seldom push back yeah and that was another turning point for mm. me when i was like okay yeah, he's right. Like, okay. And then there was a period where I worked on just on my tone and volume and not shouting. Mm. And now in our home years later, there's, I can't remember when there's been the I last don't. time when. I, don't. <laughs> I genuinely don't. I don't remember when was the last time we've had a fight. I don't remember the last time, um, something was left unsaid and we just like, you know what I mean? If it, if it was small enough, it didn't need to be said. Yeah. I actually don't. Yeah, I don't know a time, uh, like remember a time. So much so that I remember a friend of mine, it was a couple of years ago, and a friend of mine was dating this girl, and um, they were having an argument outside one of his gigs, and she yelled at me, <laughs> and she yelled at me, and I was so taken aback, and I was like, my mom doesn't even yell at me anymore. Like, I don't accept people yelling at me. Like, it's not cool. Like, yeah. you, what, like if you have an issue, talk to me. And I'm happy to have a conversation. But nobody yells at me. Like, if my mom doesn't yell at me, you don't get to yell at me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's how normal it had become in my in my household and in my life to have mature and real conversations with people rather than anybody having an outburst or being angry at me. Yeah. So, yeah, we did do a, we did do a lot of growing in that portion. We, we did. did. We really we did. did. We did. And, and for... Me to hear that from you is I don't even have the words. <laughs> <laughs> the, and believe it or not, these times listeners when I don't have words, it's seldom, but it would be <laughs> moments like this where I'm just blown away 
that a prayer, a wish, <clears throat> the intentional work has given rise to the desired result mm. or the desire of my heart mm. for my home to be a place of peace and rest mm. for both of us mm. and for everyone who walks in here you know because my my great grandmother's home was always a home that people came to and rested mm. you know and i wanted that replicated because i didn't grow up in a home where there was rest yeah yeah that's so true i think that as well like uh, me being a second-hand experience of the, those things and, and and having that in our family of watching people fight i um and and people just react at one another communication and understanding became my really like my two biggest values um because i just watched people as a child watch people argue and being like you guys are talking about the same thing here like you know what i mean and watching people as a child and being like if only i was bigger and if only like you heard my opinion and and valued it yeah. then i i could probably help in this situation you know because you're arguing over things sometimes family would argue over me and i'm like why are you arguing over me like yeah. you know what i mean like i not i nothing's wrong like yeah. why are you arguing over me yeah. and so for me it was like a thing of like communication and understanding comes from when you actually listen to the person not try and yell over them yeah. and i think that for me that child response of staying silent and, and staying quiet when people are yelling was so prevalent yeah. and when someone wasn't yelling and was actually listening and wanting to talk i was able to come out and be like okay now we can talk now we can chat now we can have a mature conversation yeah. because that experience in our family made me value those things yeah. listening yeah. communicating understanding those are my primary values yeah yeah well i yeah. guess that's a good place for us to finish for today yes you know, that's a, that's and there was certainly no stone unturned today, today. <laughs> <laughs> thank so. you thank you so much guys for listening um, this has been episode one of No Stone Unturned. Maybe plenty more to come. Thank you.